But it's not about love. It's a comedy, but not everyone's laughing. It's a place where the one thing you can't expect is the unexpected. Women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. A story about women who love men. Todos estos años te he esperado. Dime que te hubieras muerto si no vuelvo. Estaría muerta si no hubieras vuelto. Women who love to get even. And men who try to get away. Iván, ¿quién esperabas que llamara? Iván, me ha llamado otra vez Iván. No. Ay, olvídalo ya, chica. ¿Quiere decirme quién es ese Iván? Eres un débil, Iván. Iván. ¿Dónde está Iván? ¡Iván! From internationally acclaimed filmmaker Pedro Almodovar comes a deliriously deranged comedy that follows no rules, spares no victims, takes no prisoners. Pero no me negará que aquí ha ocurrido algo raro. Women on the verge of a nervous breakdown. Well, welcome back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Pete, this is a yes. very important episode. I mean, I think that trailer says it all. Yes. <laughs> I'm very excited to talk about this movie. As my listeners, my name is Pete. And I'm Scott, and these, these are, are the movies, movies that, that made us gay. gay. Yes. Oh my gosh, Pete. Ah. It has been over 200 episodes, and yeah. I'm ashamed to say we have not done a Pedro Almodovar movie. You know, but it is time. Right. Yeah. We, We're here. we made it. I put something on our stories a few weeks ago or months ago. I can't even remember. It was the yeah, summer. It's been a minute. Of what Pedro Almodovar movie do you want us to talk about? Right. And it was pretty much like overwhelming. Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. Oh. So that is the movie that we are talking about okay. today with. Uh, our friend Jose, Jose Gallegos. Gallegos, welcome to the show. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hello, Hi. everybody. Thanks for coming out. Thanks for being our guest today. You picked a good one. <laughs> well, I didn't pick it. Apparently, well, you, it was. <laughs> you, got, you got it was interesting into a when <laughs> I put in our stories mm-hmm. of what Pedro Omidovar movie, and I think that's a part of the thing about Pedro's movies that I think it's a little overwhelming. Of well, what are you going to start with? Sure. Just because, like, he's made so many movies. And I have not seen a lot of the movies, too. So there are still, like, big holes in his filmography that I have not even got to. This movie being one of them, I just watched this movie for the podcast. Wow. So. Same. And, and it was interesting that I kind of thought it would be mixed, but it was pretty overwhelming that people really. Oh, the response? The sure. response was this movie. There were sure. some other ones kind of mixed in. I saw All About My Mother. Um, Laws of Desire. Um, I'm sure that there probably was another Penelope movie, too. Um, but yeah. At least one. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think this is kind of like your, not quintessential, but I mean, it's just the one that you think of. I don't, it's, it's that thing. That when someone tells you, think of an Almodovar movie in your head. I, th- I just go to this. I just go to this one. I go to this poster. I just think of it. Even yeah. though, and you hadn't even seen the movie. I hadn't even seen You'd it. only just seen images of it. Right. Just because when you take a film class, chances are in one of your textbooks, you're going to see an image of one of these movies. Well, with this one specifically, because it was his breakout movie. Right. And yeah. it was the one that put him on the map. Because he had done 
a couple, a handful of movies before this. Yeah. But this was the one that really hit with audiences. And I think at the time it was the highest grossing film from Spain in the U.S., which yeah. had just beat out Carlos Sara's Carmen, which if you have not seen oh, that movie, wow. that movie is amazing. And it kind of blew me away when I saw it a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, when it came out, it was just kind of a phenomenon in Spain, right? Like, it just, like, yeah. swept the Goyas, just, like, you know, kind of blew up. Debuted the, the at country. the 1988 Venice International Film Festival and then went on to have its United States release in November of that year. All right. All and I mean, when you watch this movie, it's just, if you would have been an American audience, let alone Spain, because I think that Pedro was pretty familiar with moviegoers, at that time in Spain, but definitely something very new for America. But there are scenes of this movie that would have blown audiences here away of that. I don't think that I can ever think of a movie prior to this of shooting an answering machine, but actually filming it inside the answering machine. (laughs) Like you don't, you did not get shots like that in America at all. And, and he's done shots like that before, like in Law mm-hmm. of Desire, you see the underhand from inside the typewriter. So oh, like, sure. Yeah. He, he has a different filmic style. I think that with Women on the Verge, this was, I, this was kind of a convergence of like his zany madcap origins, but in a more refined manner. Because it has that frenetic energy where sure. it just like keeps clipping along, but there doesn't really seem to be anything superfluous going on. Mm-hmm. It just kind of all, each of the 500 plot lines that are going through just kind of seamlessly transition <laughs> right. into one another. Right, right. And I was reading that he started out with the script of a remake of Cocteau's The Human Voice, and then just as he was writing it, it just sort of morphed into the screwball comedy. Because I think the thing is with that story is that it's just set in, a, in an apartment. Yes. And it's only like, th- it's a 30 minutes max story. And then he decided to get her out of the apartment and then just kind of the, all of the elements of the script kind of formed once he got her out of the apartment. Yeah, so yeah. Maldivar has um, multiple obsessions and oftentimes he'll fixate on that and you'll see it bounce from film to film. So like with the human voice, you see that pop up in, um, oh my God, I'm in Love Desire where the one of the characters is doing a play version of it with his transgender sister. And then it pops up in here just in terms of the plot line. And then also he did a version with Tilda Swinton, but other kind of obsessions that he has. Um, mm-hmm. Apparently he, I believe he saw an article about a brain dead patient and he became so obsessed with that article that he started... <laughs> integrating it into his movies so like if you watch flower of flower of my secret mm-hmm. um it begins with kind of a demonstration of doctors telling a woman that her husband is brain dead and then all about my mother it's with yeah. a woman whose son becomes brain dead and then talk to her you're just kind of fully yeah. integrated in there where there are two characters that are actually brain dead okay yeah wow Threads. I'm not going to pull out any of them. I'm going to let you two talk this out. What I what I what I uh, what I have noticed is uh, are 
are your earrings that you're wearing a tribute to Candela? They're, they are. <laughs> I noticed that today. I noticed that today when I was watching some of the new, I just got the new Criterion and I just noticed on a close-up that her earrings are little are little coffee pots. I was like, what, yep. are, what is that? What are they that she's wearing? I couldn't figure it out. And Scott goes, they're coffee pots. I was like, oh, God. So <laughs> as a little budding gay boy who had IFC and Sundance Channel, when I was first watching this, I became obsessed with her earrings. Sure. I could never find a version of it because... Yeah. Uh, eBay was yeah. eBay was just in its infancy, <laughs> and I don't think any thrift shops were going to have it. But more recently, um, they released like a limited edition version of the earrings that were made in honor of Pedro Almodovar. Oh wow, so cute! I do have my candela earrings? I mean the. I feel like okay, it's it's 1988. I granted this this is Spain. It is a whole another continent. But I'm just here to tell you. That like these fashions <laughs> in this movie in particular, insane, so good. Like <laughs> polka dot can- dress, Candela yep. in particular though. She's wearing like these creepers with like the knee highs. Like oh my god, it's she's looking beautiful. Great. It's just candy color. Yeah, and well, yeah, it, yeah. Everybody's just dressed to the nines, yeah. and like I don't know that. Spain and particular Madrid was like that necessarily right, at the right, time, right. but in an Amaldivar film, they're it's definitely going yeah. always going to be like yeah. that. I, and like, it's like Beppa is very kind of monochromatic. Like, if it's not just mm-hmm. red and white, well, that's not monochromatic, but <laughs> 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 that's what diachromatic. <laughs> or you know, she's very simple color blocked, right? Yeah. Red and white, or, or I feel like mm-hmm. did she wear blue at one point? Yeah, she, she wore, wore a blue, blue but it's still very like. Um, like a, a statement kind of color situation. And um, yeah, I, I mean, uh, Mar- Marisa, I love. <laughs> she, oh my God. Rosita well, Palma. I cannot, just... I just cannot not look at her and just be like, oh my God. That she's face. Everything. Is she so <laughs> it's fascinating? It's a Picasso face. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the way that it's it been is. described. I mean, Pete and I yeah. always have a fascination with handsome women. We, we cover a lot of movies just with very handsome <laughs> yeah. Female actresses, and I feel like Rosie De Palma is just like the queen of the handsome woman. <laughs> if you if you watch Kiko, which is kind of not a great film and has not aged that well, it's mm. kind of problematic. But she has a role in it where she plays a lesbian, and at one point. Kika is trying to tell her, like, oh, you can be beautiful. And Rosie De Palma is looking in the mirror, and she's like, no, I want an ugly face. I want to be, like, one of those wardens in a women's prison film. And then she just, like, (laughs) makes a scary... And it's like, yeah, that's not... Like, she's got a fashion face. She's got an editorial face. And there's no reason to change it or no reason to try and do anything to it because it's just perfect the way that it is. It's so angular. It's so (laughs) angular. That nose is is pretty incredible. Her nose is insane, but it's just like... uh, You can't do anything to it because her face is so particular... Her face is so long. What are you gonna like? Make her nose smaller than she would look? Like she has crazy. to. Ha- she has to have that long nose. Yeah. <laughs> but but like aside from how she looks, she's so good in all of his movies. Yeah, yeah. She's just she's funny when she needs to be. She's like a bitch in this movie, but she's still funny. Like I a bitch, and she love. has a very moving moment at the end. She does too. Yes, mm-hmm. and she's asleep for most of the movie. Yep. She and is- still makes an impact. <laughs> yes. That's that goddamn spiked gazpacho. I'm sorry. I mean, uh, say what you will about gazpacho, but it just does not sound like something. Okay, I'm like, so you know, it's a hot <laughs> summer day. Just give me that tomato soup. 
Okay. <laughs> that ice cold. Ice cold. So I'm, I'm just thinking of Bloody Mary. Is that what... Gazpacho is? Gazpacho is in Spain. No. Or is no. It, no. It, it... It's like a soup. Yeah, it's yeah. Like a soup. She says she listed off all the ingredients. It's like it's literally like like what she did. She put it all in the blender, and it's like what was she said? Onions, garlic, green peppers, a lot of tomatoes. That's about it. I mean, maybe if you add some <laughs> vodka and put in like a celery. Stick. You know what it is? It's like if you get like pico de gallo and then just put it in the blender. Okay, pretty sure. Much. And then drink it. <laughs> and then drink it. And then you know throw in some uh, some sleeping pills. <laughs> Before we get too into go. talking about women on the verge, yes. um, what are our backgrounds with Pedro? Uh, and I'm not just talking about our Pedro here. My uh, me, mm-hmm. <laughs> gosh. Well, why don't you take yeah. it? You go first. Okay. Um, so I came to Pedro in high school again because of IFC and Sundance Channel, where the first movie I saw was all about my mother. Mm-hmm. And around the time that I was going into college, uh, Sony Pictures Classics had a retrospective of some of his films, so I managed to get the box out of that and was just Sony Pictures Classic. Like a A twenty four could never. <laughs> like they were like the OGs in their heyday. They were yep. they were the kings of foreign films, and with him in particular, like they had such a buddy buddy relationship. And it, it was just amazing to see kind of come to fruition. And yeah, so once I got to college, then I took a course with this professor named Marcia Kinder, who's one of the best writers on Spanish cinema. And the course was on Luis Buñuel and Pedro Almodovar and kind of talking about Spanish cinema through the lens of auteur theory and just showing the dichotomy between a director that's in the diaspora and a director that's specifically localized to Spain. Sure. Like, you can't really say Spanish cinema without saying Pedro Almodovar, because right. you kind of mm-hmm. put a face to that. But up until that point, I mean, Spain was such a hermetically sealed country because of Franco right. that, like, a lot of those filmmakers didn't really get well-known until later in life. Because, like, yeah, if you start listing off all the Spanish filmmakers, it's hard to say, like, one that defines it. But, like... For me, having discovered it through these classes, like it, it's such an interesting tapestry, and like that's probably for another podcast discussion. <laughs> sure. But right. for Pedro Almodovar, when he's coming out of this vision of a hermetically sealed Spain, and then right when Franco's dying is around the time that he's starting to make movies, and you're getting La Movida, where you're getting this influx of porno, of horror movies, of mm-hmm. everything, all this culture just flooding into Spain that's where he starts to like go crazy and make his movies. And then slowly he just starts refining it. And it's just so beautiful to watch. And Franco died in 78. I think 70 somewhere towards the late. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, I don't remember from Saturday (laughs) night live, but I remember from my sister and I watched a lot of, Early the first three seasons of Saturday Night Live, they would rerun on local access uh, TV out here, KDOC, uh, Channel Fifty Six, and uh, <laughs> and I remember that it was a bit on it was a running bit on uh, on Weekend Update. Yeah. It was they would just every they would do a bit on Weekend Update, do a joke, do a joke, and then it would cut to. Um, I think it was Chevy Chase that was saying it. No, it yeah. was. Uh, uh, 
I think it was uh, Garrett Morris. It was Garrett Morris. And he would say, Gen- oh, well, I think they all would say it. But I yeah. remember, oh, I know why Garrett Morris said it. Because he did the, um, for the hearing impaired. But oh, he didn't do he sign language. He just screamed it. Yeah. And he would repeat Chevy saying, Generalissimo Francisco Franco is still dead. <laughs> I don't know why that was funny. I love it. But it was the late 70s. Um, That's so interesting that, I mean, obviously his filmography goes back that far. But, uh, I mean, for for myself, I feel like I was aware of him as a filmmaker, but didn't really see anything until talk to her. Well, I was going to say, also, which kind of like home video in the 90s, I would say nothing really became readily available until probably after All About My Mother. Right. Yeah, and then my mom and my grandmother saw Volver and loved it. Yeah. Um, and, and regarding the home video market, I think that a lot of the issues were because a lot of his films had different distributors. Yeah. So it was oh. between, like, I think Women on the Verge was Orion. And so then interesting, yeah. it was October Films and Miramax. And October and, Films, I know, later would become Focus. Yeah. If so, you, like, look at the the how businesses change, it would kind of evolve into focus features. Yeah, so it was a lot of people had different hands in his filmography, and it wasn't until Sony Pictures Classics started regularly distributing that they became more readily available, and then they started getting access to his other films since some of those companies went defunct, so now they have okay. the majority of the collection. Um, I was watching clips of the 2000 Academy Awards, and I do remember when Penelope Cruz and Antonio... Banderas presented <laughs> presented him for the Oscar for All yeah. About My Mother. And the Oscar goes to This is Spain's 18th nomination and the second for director Pedro Almodovar, who was nominated in 1988 for his film Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. And at that time, like, Penelope Cruz would have been red hot in the United States. Like, that's an early television appearance from from Penelope at that time. Yeah. And yeah, her saying like, Pedro, <laughs> when he ends up winning. So I remember all about my mother when it came out, when it won, but not a movie that I probably didn't watch until college. But I remember Talk to Her being a huge deal yeah, it when it big. came out. And I think that was probably the first of his movies that I ever watched. Is I think that I watched Talk to Her in high school, of course, blown away by that movie because that movie is so fucking delightful and bizarre that my 17-year-old brain had never seen anything quite like it. I have a memory of watching that movie with my parents and that movie, I mean, they like climb in like a vagina in that movie. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I remember when Bad Education came out and that was was also a huge deal because it was rated NC-17. Yep. And I mean, that was just kind of, I remember reading about it in Rolling Stone, like reading Peter Trevor's review on it. And I think... Tracking that movie down, too, in college, that was a big deal. And, yeah, I feel like throughout the years, I've kind of have been constantly playing catch-up with a lot of his filmography. I remember during the pandemic, we watched the we watched Laws of Desire, yes. the movie that he made prior to this movie, also with, with Carmen. And Volver was a huge deal okay. because it got Penelope that Oscar nomination. 
Yeah. And um, Talk to Her was a huge deal, not only because of critical reception, but also because of the controversy, which at the time people had expected that Spain was going to submit it for foreign That's language right. film. And it but didn't it didn't end up get getting the sele- it didn't end up getting this. No, it was Mondays in the Sun that got submitted. And so some people read that there was a response to that, and that's likely why he got... We're going to vote for it? Yeah. Because it didn't make it foreign? For director and for original screenplay. I don't know the veracity of that. I just know that there was controversy at the time, but he ended up winning original screenplay, which is quite a feat for a Spanish film. Um, We were watching clips of it, and Ben Affleck's pronunciation of he the entire category <laughs> was kind of spot on and here are the nominees for original screenplay Todd Haynes for Far From Heaven Jay Cox Steve Zalian and Kenneth Lonergan for Gangs of New York Nia Vardalis for My Big Fat Greek Wedding Pedro Almodovar for Talk to Her. Carlos Cuaron and Alfonso Cuaron for Y Tu Mamá También. And the Oscar goes to Pedro Almodovar. He has an amazing (laughs) Mexican accent. His grasp of of Mexican Spanish is kind of amazing. (laughs) I forget what the meme was, but it was just like, wow, Ben Affleck talks like my Theo. And it's like, yeah, he does. Yeah, he absolutely does. <laughs> he must have, I mean, I guess he was just paying attention in Spanish class. No, in he, lived, no he, he lived, lived in Mexico. Mexico. Oh, okay. Yeah. I All think right. his father did business down there, so they lived in there for mm-hmm. a time. That's but. interesting. Do you know the movie that won foreign feature over Women on the Verge? Uh, Pele the Conqueror. Are you familiar with it? Yes. Is it um, good? It is good. And okay. uh, Max von Sydow was nominated for Best Actor that year okay. for that performance. So, like, it's understandable why it won. I think that both films were relatively popular. So, it, it's not, I can't really say that it was robbed. I just think that within the test of time, I, I think Women on the Verge has had a longer cultural standing. Oh, definitely, yeah. Okay. I read in I th- I think it was IMDb that like the translation of the title is more is closer to panic attack. Yeah, it's like women on the verge of hysteria. Of hysteria, right? Okay. Yeah, because on a nervous breakdown, there's a different phrase for that. But this is more in line with because of his love of film. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he's going to pay tribute to certain directors and a lot of directors that directed women. So hysteria, kind of these, yeah. yeah, these hysterical women. <laughs> okay, that 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 makes that makes sense. Um, okay, so watching this movie. And I've never been to Spain. I, I am uh, I am Mexican-American, but I, that means nothing. <laughs> <laughs> that is a totally different Keep place. Keep from HLA. You know what I mean? Well, I think that a lot of people out there, especially white people, you know, may refer to Spanish-speaking people as Spanish. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's not the case. Uh, so culturally, I don't have a lot of frame of reference for Spain, right? But um, you know, I'm watching this, and the, and the main character, 
um, Peppa, right? And she's played by uh, Carmen Mauro. Carmen Mauro. The, there, there are things where you say, okay, maybe there are some <laughs> some similarities in in the culture, and and like I'm talking about the title being closer to, you know, uh, Panic Attack, but also Hysteria and all that. She is going through it. Ultimately, at the end of the movie, we find out why she's going through it. But man, this lady is is fucking going through it. To the point where I'm just like, she just really threw that lit match on her bed. Mm-hmm. Like, she didn't even have a care in the world. But there's so many things going through my head as I'm watching it, because I'm like trying to relate to this character who is you know, just kind of having the worst two days of her of her life. But also I'm just like, look at this apartment. (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, what is going on? She has chickens on her balcony. (laughs) That production design is just so beautiful. And like, even to the fact that, again, going back to his love of certain directors, just the kind of artificiality of her balcony, where you just see that, that skyline Mm -hmm. is clearly a screen that's Mm -hmm. just standing in for a skyline. But it's just, the thing that I love about this film is and the thing that I love about most of his films is just the Spanish specificity. Right. That so right. many markers of the plot are related to things that are specific to Spain, like the fact that she is a voiceover yeah. actor and is dubbing Johnny Guitar, the fact that Gaspacho plays a large role <laughs> <laughs> in everything yeah. that's going on. Like it's just so amazing to kind of watch it unfold and yet have this kind of universality where like to equate it to today, because I don't think that the film would work if it were set today. It works perfectly in the eighties because of like phones, cell phones, they don't have any of those. And so with this, like if it were to be made today, it would be like her trying to text and him just leaving her on red the entire time. And like just the level of, anxiety that you get where it's just like they're just casually missing each other like he's in a phone booth and she's just throwing out his stuff on the side or like he calls her and she just barely wakes up and tries to answer it's just all those misconnections that just kind of like you're you're like okay I know that the film can't end right now but like had you just answered the phone like five (laughs) seconds earlier we could have gotten all of this resolved yeah absolutely and yeah just the fact that the answering machine itself just like plays this part in this movie almost like a I mean it's a character of the movie yeah and you know it's just that thing where nowadays we have to like invent a reason why your phone is broken or you know what I mean? Yeah. Why your if phone you watch a horror movie, or, the character's know. phone has to die or yeah, something. Yeah. Or like we went to bottoms last night and I noticed that everybody has a flip phone <laughs> that like, this is a period movie because the director just didn't want these kids on their cell phone the entire time. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, but I, I didn't, I didn't think about that. I was watching it, but I mean, obviously that that's, them it, them it, that does make total sense. But it, it does seem like it just fits so perfectly in that it is this 80s movie um, with, I don't, I don't know, just the, the entire aesthetic. It, it's interesting when I did first start to kind of become aware of Almodovar and his like visual style and his visual language and all of that. Um, as a kid growing up, my introduction to foreign movies was like on PBS. I feel like they would show like 
movies on PBS and they would show unrated and uncut and just here you go, regular television. This is not cable. Kids, watch out. <laughs> and to me, it would be like, okay, I know this is a foreign movie because maybe there's not a score or a traditional score like we're used to. They're not these, you know, John Williams Spielberg movies, right? They're they're different. And and to me, they, they just visually look different because they, they, they just are. And, that, and there's just something about that Almodovar visual language that, that he has with his the color scheme and the the artifice of 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 the set of the setting and all that and I I, I do think it's interesting that the, that these characters are they're actors and I think they're in the universe of this movie I think they're famous yeah actors, right so they're not just a, voiceover well, Pe- artists yeah Peppa because doesn't she kind of stop to like people kind of stop her yeah she's she's a TV actress yeah. she plays the mother of the Crossroads Killer and so uh, that oh, commercial boy. is that commercial there you go yeah, yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> no Almodovar had this thing about TV and I don't know if it's a hate relationship but sure. he inserted it in a lot of his movies where he would have a TV commercial going on and some of the ones that I clearly remember are like in All About My Mother, there's a commercial for Huggies. But in um, Pepe Lucci Bone, there's a commercial about these magic underwear that, like, <laughs> if you fart, they turn into perfume. If you pee on them, they change oh, a different color. And if you're having some lonely time, they can turn into a dildo. <laughs> and he also had another one that I think it was a woman that was dressed as Scarlett O'Hara. And I think she had her face burned off. And she's just telling her story of her lover. Oh, my God. <laughs> and how he threw, I believe it was he threw coffee at her. And she's like, I'd never forget that cup of coffee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, yeah, so <laughs> just the, the idea that they are, the two of them are actors. So it kind of gives, her, uh, gives a reason for her apartment to be this penthouse. And you performers know. are a big, I mean, you see that in right. a lot of his movies, too. Is right. actresses and performers and people, people that work in theater and movies, too. Yeah. Um, at first, when we were watching it, I was like, what movie are they are they looping? And yeah, it's, it's Johnny, Johnny Guitar. Johnny Guitar. Yep. <laughs> Which, if you have not seen that movie, uh, that movie <laughs> is insane because Joan Crawford has no place in the Wild West. <laughs> sure. Well, for that, um, for that short that they just did with Pedro Pascal and Ethan Hawke, all of the art and the marketing is Johnny Guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, he he has his films that he references, and specifically with this one, I what I what I appreciate about him in regards to his use of pastiche is that it's oftentimes not gratuitous; it's actually integral to the plot. So, like when they're having that conversation, when you know Ivan is dubbing his lines, and mm-hmm. and then she's dubbing her lines, they mean something specifically yeah, to, them, to them, and it's like they're having that conversation right. themselves, and that's why she faints, and you get that great shot of like looking at her fainting through her glasses on the floor. Like some of these shots are just yeah. amazing. Yeah, but. 
with the dubbing itself, I mean, that's specific to Spain. And right. the reason why it's such an important thing to kind of look at, and this is me going back into like academic mode, but for Spanish audiences that were living under Franco, a lot of the import films that came in would have to get dubbed into Spanish. And oftentimes, if the Ministry of Culture didn't really like the messages that were being purported, sure. they would, the they'd have to they change. Would change the dialogue and change the film entirely. So wow. like a film like Magumbo, which stars Ava Gardner, um, Grace Kelly, and uh, Clark Gable, they completely changed the plot line from like any insinuation of an adulterous affair to just like, no, these two characters are brother and sister. Uh, They're not sleeping with each uh, other. That's funny. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So that has a cultural specificity, but also kind of a plot line specificity sure. for them to like have these misconnections and show that that meaningful dialogue that right. they can't have with one another. Wow. Which, and you also get that great secretary that's there sure. <laughs> just like <Yep. laughs> adds her own commentary and at one point she's just like looks out and she's like I'll get you that taxi and she's like wait a minute who wanted the taxi and she just gets on the intercom and is like whoever wanted a taxi please come to the front desk <laughs> so funny they hear um, Pedro said something kind of interesting on the Criterion interview that this movie was in Spain for I mean Franco had not been around for a good 10 years and just kind of the movie he mentioned is just kind of this um, kind of this love letter and celebration of how far a country like Spain had come and that time of that there's bright colors in this movie Um, the city everything runs on time there's a taxi as soon as you walk out the door if you walk into a pharmacy and you don't have your prescription in hand they can just give it to you just kind of celebrating how far... I can come back. Okay. Just kind of celebrating how far this country had come in like a decade since Franco, which I think is kind of interesting. Can we talk about the Mm -hmm. disco cab driver? Oh, I I love the cab driver. (laughs) It's not disco. What what is... It, well, like he was Samba or no, it was Mambo, Mambo, and then he started listing yeah. off the other things that he could play. He was like salsa, techno pop. Yeah, <laughs> he just and he had everything available for you. And when that's he did it, wild his, though. His that's magazine, like, his magazine selection, the yeah. production design of that cab, but is he pretty had, cool. but he had like gum, like t- like, and he got her eye Kleenex. Drops later. Yeah, he had <laughs> eye drops in there. He had like, but shit that kind of like Uber drivers have now, or I don't know if they're still doing that anymore, but like. Um, yeah, kind of un- unheard of and a funny little beat for this guy. Um, but yeah, and then it's that thing of just like every time she needs a cab, it's him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, that. but going back to the kind of Franco thing, sure. yeah, it is interesting how far the country came because, again, the, the culture was her- hermetically sealed. Mm-hmm. Like they wanted to keep Spanish, Spaniards Spanish. Mm-hmm. They didn't want any outside influence to the point where like, Franco and his government would say like we can't have horror films in Spain like that's that's detriment to the culture like that's mm-hmm. there's no and so when you get somebody like Jesus Franco who ended up making like a lot of lesbian vampire movies in France and outside like even he made a, a Spanish horror movie I think it was like the Rue Mor the living 
the Living Dead at the Manchester Brew Morgue. And the only reason that, like, Franco allowed it was because it didn't really have Spanish characters. It just had British characters that were bumbling around. And oh. Franco's government was like, well, they're kind of making fun of the Brits, so, like, we'll allow it. Because, <laughs> like, <laughs> at least they're not making fun of Spaniards. Yeah. But you, going to the, like, cab driver, you see that melding of genres. Mm. Like, even down to the musical taste, you see mm. so many influences that are coming to converge. And sometimes in... in any of Maldivar films, you'll see that merging of genres, whether it's like melodrama, comedy, or even horror elements that mm-hmm. sometimes come to the foray. And the specific scene that I'm thinking about with that is Julieta Serrano when she's on the motorcycle and you just see oh that like shot of her head as <laughs> yep. the wind is just whipping. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she is that wig is <laughs> she is an icon. She's that one of my she's one of my life. she's one of my favorite parts of the movie. Okay, so let's break down all of the all of the women in this movie. So we've talked a little bit about Carmen. Yeah. Carmen Murat, just kind of the... She plays Peppa, the main Peppa, character. Of kind of, movie. we are following Carmen on this crazy adventure as she meets all of these characters that, that come into her life right. and everything pretty much ends up at the apartment. Right. Yeah. Too. And I mean, if, if it's possible to break this movie down at all, it's that Peppa and Ivan or Ivan, um, are in a relationship. They are actors. They act together. They're doing voiceover for this movie at the very beginning. And um, they lose track. She loses track of him, right? He ghosts her for a while. He ghosts Mm -hmm. her for a minute. And uh, the rest of the movie, she is kind of doing everything she can to track him down and... He leaves a message on her machine of pack my my shit and leave it downstairs for me. I'm leaving you. But also, he left her that lovely message on the back of a Lola Beltran <laughs> record where he just, like, he's like, I don't want to see you unhappy, and just, like, circles the one song. Yeah. And the rest of the movie is just her trying to track him down and all the different people that come in and out of her life and this apartment in, mm-hmm. in you know, in trying to track him down. Um, so, who are the first people that she runs into? Because she, I feel like she's on the phone with Candela for a while before she actually comes to the apartment, right? So she's, she's leaving messages with... Yeah, she only answers the phone once and gets annoyed with Candela. Yeah. But Candela keeps on leaving, leaving her messages. Her messages. Yeah. And so I think that her first interaction is with um, Lucia. Right. Because she goes to see her at her apartment. Mm-hmm. And she first calls her. And Lucia tells her to go to hell. Right. And she just assumes that my husband has left me for this woman. Yes, too. because mm-hmm. she has been in a mental institution for a while. The character <laughs> of Lucia is fascinating of how they style her. Well, because it's, it's like it's like not a day has gone by in her relationship. It's the, it's and she has not still. she has not been sitting in this mental institution for 20 years like she has blocked all of it out and she is still dressing like it is the mid 60s and that's too that's the fault of her father because her mother keeps on trying to say like we got to get her updated and like get her with the times and her father's just like don't be so rude just let her do what she's gonna do and she's like dad can you put on my hat for me can you put Mm -hmm. on my wig oh my gosh and she like she does her makeup where her top lashes are are drawn on like twiggy amazing 
It's so, and <laughs> it's just so perfect. And she wear and she wears these like kind of like I guess mod, right? She wears that fashion print that, with yeah, that giant hat the cone on. hat, and then she'll have like big bouffant like that girl Marlo Thomas like <laughs> you know like flip hair with like a bow in it, and oh my god, she's amazing. And this woman is the mother of Carlos, Carlos. who is played by... Antonio. Antonio. Antonio Banderas. <laughs> Probably the most handsome man in the world <laughs> oh, at that time. <laughs> yes. We had to look up clips of Antonio and Pedro in, in Truth or Dare. Madonna's Truth or Dare. Of when Madonna, like... Light, like lace her eyes on that one. Well, she pretty much crashes a party just yeah. to go and try and fuck Antonio Banderas, yeah. knowing full well that he's married at the time. Greatest scene in documentary history. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know that it came out a few years ago that like Pedro Omodovar was like, yeah, they told us that there was going to be cameras there, but we weren't really sure what they were doing. Yeah. They just said it's for like some personal home video stuff for Madonna. We had no idea it was going to be for like a theatrical documentary. <laughs> Yeah, I think with Madonna especially, it was kind of a fetishistic thing. Because, like, Madonna was, at the time, well-read in cinema. Like, she said that she always wanted a remake, Anya Svarta's Cleo from 5 to 7, and Anya Svarta was like, (laughs) you are way too immature to be this role. Like, And and with the Maldivar, I think she had a quip uh, in some interview where she was like, I want to be like one of those girls in an Maldivar film. And it's like... I, I think that she was well-read. I don't think that she necessarily knew the culture as well. Right. And so yeah. it's just kind of like Spanish Lothario, I need that in my life, but not really giving time and context to right, like right. what the Spanish culture actually <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah, because what, what year is Truth or Dare? 90? 90, yeah. So, I mean, for her to even kind of be that aware... I mean, he kind of says something about You can tell that Antonio doesn't speak any English. So, <laughs> Very mm-hmm. little. But he's so beautiful. <laughs> and, it, like, even him stuttering and just, like, yeah, going yeah, yeah. in and out of just being the shy guy and then just, like, making out with Candela the entire time. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know what it, what it is about Antonio. Is, is those lips, it's that mouth. He just has that little Cupid's bow. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> For me, it's the hair. Oh, all right. The floppy hair is so <laughs> cute. Um, and Carmen is, uh, and, and Peppa is going to be subletting or selling her apartment. And unbeknownst to her, um, Carlos comes to see it. With Carlos him. comes to see with it with Marisa, with Marisa his with girlfriend. Marisa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or his fiance? His fiance. fiance. Yep. Yeah. And she is overly jealous like, yep. when, when she's just like who was that woman you were talking with and he's just like that's yeah. my mom I love I love how unimpressed she is when she walks into this apartment of that this is very high yeah it's he's like, like it's a penthouse it, it's a penthouse yeah. yeah but I love just when she walks through this living room she's not impressed and the way the way that they explain her behavior is so interesting because it's just she's a virgin so she's uptight <laughs> <laughs> but once she has that dream and just as, yeah. as uh, Pepa says, like you lose that harsh look that virgins have where it's just like, <laughs> oh, you're nice. So like, wow, that's that's all you needed in your life. Yeah. A sex dream. Yeah. <laughs> it's as simple as that. Uh, do they, I guess, yeah, Carlos and Marissa, when they 
they don't leave. They don't no, ever leave the apartment they once they get there. No, yeah, they're there for the, the entire duration time. of the well, movie because she's asleep she, the entire yeah. time. Carlos is just there, like tinkering with the phone, and then he oh calls about gosh. the Shiite terrorists. Oh my god! <laughs> First of all, <laughs> all right, a <laughs> couple of things with that sentence. First of all, I pro- I believe that at in 1988 in Spain your phone was probably still wired to the wall. Like in the U.S., we yeah. had j- jacks that you could just do it yourself. Yeah. The phone company did not have to... I love Lucy style. I got to call a guy to come and move my phone from one room to the other. But I, that kind of tracks that she fully... Okay. If Peppa loves <laughs> one thing, it's ripping a damn phone out of a wall and throwing it out of a window. And it's, yeah. so, <laughs> it's so conveniently placed because she destroys the phone the yeah. first time. She asks Carlos if she can, he can fix it. He fixes it, calls the police, tells them there's a Shiite terrorist, <laughs> hangs up the phone. Then she destroys the phone again. And when the police come by, they're just like, we got a call. And she's like, phone's this phone's broken. destroyed. <laughs> and then the repairman comes and he's like, oh, yeah, we got a call at like early in the morning saying a phone was destroyed. <laughs> so it's just like this, this script is just so well written. It's just yeah. a well-oiled machine. That terrorist subplot is wild. Okay. <laughs> so there is a friend that is leaving a message, Candela. Right, and she's younger than Peppa. Yeah. Right, she's a young girl. She's leaving these messages, and her story is she, interesting. She <laughs> she hooked up with the with this mysterious man who ends up being a terrorist. And this is real. This what or I mean, what she's saying is this is happening. It's not, yes. She's not overhearing overheard something and like jumping to conclusions. These this Shiite terrorist situation in this movie they will be hijacking is a happening, plane. Right. Yeah. Okay. She's not just like jumping no. to conclusions. No, she fucked this terrorist. <laughs> she and apparently she got a good dicking down from that guy because she was I mean, like, it was like the first time I made love. <laughs> she was in love with that man, and then she realized his terrorist origins and yeah. was like, I'm an accomplice. <laughs> I need to either commit suicide or like get out of here. Because because yeah, that's my question. Is her whole thing is just like like when the cops do arrive later on. She's just like, oh, well, she's ready to go on the run with Beppa and just be like fugitives the rest of their lives yeah. at, mm-hmm. at some point in the movie. Yeah. And, but I'm like, why does she feel like she's in so much trouble? She, so her explanation is that because they captured them, she thinks they're going to have such an intense interrogation that they're going to say, well, She'll where just name were her. you? Okay. Yeah. They're going to say, where were you? And they're going to say, oh, I was with this Spanish lady <laughs> named Candela. And she thinks that the police are going to come after her Got as a result because she's an accomplice. And then okay. she even tells Peppa, like, well, now that I'm here, you're an accomplice as well. Right, and yeah. Peppa's just like, in my house, nobody's an accomplice to anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're just going to go out of town for a week or so and just wait for this all to blow over. It'll be fine. Right, right. But then we get the next plot line, which includes Paulina Morales, the feminist lawyer. Oh, <laughs> The lawyer. I love the character of the lawyer. That <laughs> scene where she slaps her, too, is so good. And when she walks out after it, and the the secretary's just like, oh, did did you get everything you need? Are you good? Yeah. And she's like, oh, I feel so much better. <laughs> <laughs> who's the um who's the who's the feminist lawyer that's like a like a celebrity here? Oh, Gloria Allred. Oh, Gloria yeah. Allred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's what this character's kind of giving uh, me. Okay. She's, she's giving a little Gloria Allred. Um, okay. But before all this, we do have to rewind a little bit because we have been talking about Gaspacho. Beppa decides to whip up 
a batch of gazpacho in her blender, and she spikes it with a bunch of sleeping pills. Yeah. Right? But then... What happens? They arrive, right? They arrive. Well... Why does she put it away and not just drink it? I forget why she put it away. But then Candela arrives, and and she needs to go do something, and then the two of them come by... So Carlos and um, Marisa come by mm-hmm. and then she's showing them and talking to him and catching up about Yvonne and all that stuff. And while they're talking, that's when Candela tries to commit suicide. Oh and gosh. so they all get distracted by that. Yeah. And Marisa goes to the kitchen to look for something. She sees the gazpacho. And she's and just like, like, ooh. She's like, oh, delicious. <laughs> Refreshing. <laughs> <laughs> and immediately just passes out. Out like a light. And, and Carlos sees a picture of his dad. Yes. Too, and that's when they kind that's of put. That's how they figure it out. That's how they put two and yeah. two together. He's like, why do you have a picture of my dad here? <laughs> well, that's how she, that's how Peppa initially realizes that that's his son because when she goes to see Lucia's apartment Mm. and he's leaving, Lucia gets so mad that she throws his stuff out the window and it falls onto the phone booth. She goes outside and she sees the picture that says like, Oh, to Carlos, my son who I don't deserve. Right. Okay. Yeah. So many, so many threads. (laughs) So intricately woven. Yeah. Because that's the thing. It feels like it's all over the place when you're watching it. You're just like, what is going on? And like, what next? But yeah, it's, it's so like tightly written that it's like, Mm -hmm. everything makes sense. Yeah. Everything has a place. Yeah. Oh my God. And it has to be timed out this way. And it just feels like this farce or this like comedy of errors, but it's just really, and also very like, the old screwball comedies of the forties and fifties too, that you can tell that, he was a big fan of when he was developing the script. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like a 90-minute movie? Yeah, it's, very, it's under yeah, 90 it's minutes. It's 89 short. minutes. That, mm-hmm. See, that is They my, cram a lot in. <laughs> that is my G-spot with movies. If you give me a good movie oh, yeah. in 90 minutes, I am forever yours. Yeah. Like, not a second is wasted in this movie. And it doesn't feel... Sh- not that it feels long, but it doesn't feel short. It doesn't feel like, oh, that flew... like. I don't know. It feels like it's just as long as it needs to be. It's not quite... I, the, I was watching a little bit of uh, All About My Mother today, and the pacing of that movie, while it's really good, that is a story that takes its damn time. Oh, I... Mm-hmm. That, I would say, is my favorite of his movies, All About My Mother. But again, they're, like I would say that Women on the Verge is a technical masterpiece just because of the way that it's structured, and mm. it's so perfectly written it's kind of like this is a weird comparison to make but like when you watch silence of the lambs and you're watching that movie and you're just like nothing is wasted in this movie right. like yeah. everything serves a purpose everything's going along like this is just like a near perfect movie with women on the verge it's just like those canted angles those high angles those low angles mm-hmm. that tracking cam- everything is just frenetic enough that it keeps you clipping along and never really gives you a dull moment to just be like, well, what are we doing here? Sure. Like, mm-hmm. you have some action that's going on or some subplot that's going on, but it all meets up in the end at that airport. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, so let's see. We, need, we, do, we mentioned the, that the police do eventually arrive to, to the apartment. I love, though, that... that when she breaks the phone several times and she's just like, try and fix this phone. And he's like, okay, 
Yeah. <laughs> How do you fix a phone? Yeah. <laughs> All right. I think you got to go get a new phone. At that, or, you know, you call the guy and the guy comes. Yeah. But um, once Marissa kind of gets knocked out, Carlos starts kind of getting a little bit more comfortable with Candela. He's becoming his father's son. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's one of those things, you know, and, and they said, Madonna said it in Truth or Dare. She's talking to one of the backup dancers after the party, and she's just like, oh, he's married. But, you know, some someone told me that it, does, it doesn't matter in Spain. <laughs> it's like, oh, well. And <laughs> you know, the way that they explain, again, this movie is just so well written, but the way that they explain it at the end when she finally wakes up and sees the two of them asleep in each other's arms. Yeah. And then Peppa's just like, oh, don't worry about that. We'll, yeah. we'll deal with yeah. it tomorrow. <laughs> like, that's not important. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um, okay. We talked about the taxi driver a little bit <laughs> coming, coming in and out. Uh, the, the taxista. Um, There's also Juice Lamprevo. Lampret. Oh my God, I mispronounced her name. Choose. I'm just gonna say choose. Uh, the um, woman downstairs, who's the Jehovah's Witness. Oh, the neighbor. Oh, sure, she, sure. Yeah. She can't tell a lie. No, it's, it's, it's a religion. <laughs> she. Every time she appears in his movies, and she passed away, so obviously she's not gonna be appearing in these latest ones. But um, she just lights up the screen because she is definitely a character actress. Yeah. Like, she knows the role that she's playing and she, <laughs> it's usually the ditzy one. So, like, if you watch What Have I Done to Deserve This, she plays the grandma that has a lizard <laughs> or, oh like, Dark Habits. She's one of the nuns. Like, and I think in Volver, she's the ditzy aunt or grandma who's just, like, okay. Has Alzheimer's and just doesn't know who the hell some of these people are. Mm-hmm. So like she knows the role that she's playing and she has fun with it. She's yeah. that Jehovah's Witness who found a shoe. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so interesting, just one. And Peppa's just like, just shut up, just give me the goddamn shoe. <laughs> it's mine. It came from my. It came from my apartment. Don't worry about it. <laughs> the big uh, her her creepers. It was a it was a blue a blue suede. Oh yeah, creeper, mm-hmm. the pointy kind with the buckle. Such beautiful when she fashion. when she throws that record <laughs> out of her off her balcony and, and hits, hits Gloria all red in the back and of the hits head. Uh, <laughs> hits Paulina in the head. I thought she was gonna kill her. I I love the way that scene plays out because it's just like comedic timing and then when she's so heated and so mad about it and she's like, "What did you ever see in this woman?" She just wants to like. I don't understand it. And then you get the answering machine right on the car. <laughs> That's right. The entire answering machine at this point now gets completely and She's just like, this woman has a vendetta against me. We need to get to Stockholm immediately. Oh, my God. Jesus. Yeah. Okay. So they're trying to go to Stockholm. They're going to Sweden just to get away, get out of the country. And the Shiite terrorists are going to hijack a plane to Stockholm. Yep. Oh, it's so it's it's their plane it's that they're their taking. Plane. Yeah. So it's yeah. really like ta- it's really a this yeah. script. This script. <laughs> <laughs> Each thread but, meets up at a that. But airport. that gets wrapped up really quickly though, because the cops are just like when they come to the house, Candela's like, okay, listen, I have this information. We have to 
do something with it, but like we can't call the cops. And Carlos Antonio was like, "We'll make a fast phone call." But the character stutters. Yeah, she's like, "You're gonna make a fast phone call," and he's like, "Yeah, it's a fast phone call. It's a fast phone call." But they trace it, and they're like, "How did you know? Everybody knows now, but you knew before it was on the news." So the thing is, it's on the news. Everybody knows about it, and they're like, "There's more cops than people at the airport. There's more cops than travelers." At the airport right now. So don't worry about the terrorists. It's taken care of. So it's like, on one hand, it's like they know about it and they've already kind of thwarted it. I I think that in this particular instance, all of these loose threads that come to happen at the end, Mm -hmm. Amaldivar just kind of wraps it up in that line where it's like, don't worry about it. We'll deal with it tomorrow. Because like, there are a lot, there are still lingering things that are going to happen the next day. Like, when she's talking to Yvonne, and he's like, why did you come here? And she said, "Uh, you were in danger. I wanted to save you. She's not talking about the Shiite terrorists. She's just talking about Lucia trying to kill him. Yeah, yeah. And so now that he's out of that danger, she doesn't have to care about the Shiite terrorists (laughs) that are going to take over the plane and reroute them to Berlin. Yeah. Oh, my God. And Lucia has uh, come to the apartment now to kill yeah. yeah, I think yeah, she's she's going to kill. Uh, okay, so this is one of those images that I had not seen this movie, but I had seen images of this actress like styled like this. Yeah, like like this is just like an Didn't image. Did they do it in Drag Race Spain? I think that they did it on Drag Race Spain. They did it on, I on the runway. A couple, I think two of them did it. Yeah, but yeah, there's there's images of this in like cinema textbooks. Yeah. yeah. So even if you haven't seen the movie, you've seen this image. Mm-hmm. So it was just kind of fun to finally see context with it and in the way that he stylized the phone conversations that they had was also interesting because whereas like with Yvonne and Beppa they're having a conversation but they just keep on missing the other side of it like he's talking on the answering machine and she's responding back to it or like he calls on the phone and she's barely able to get it or the Johnny guitar thing with her and Lucia they're framed in kind of shot reverse shot. So like they'll be shown side profile and Peppa is facing one way and Lucia is facing the other way. Or when they have that next conversation, they're both front facing as Mm. though they're talking to each other. Yeah. And it's just like Wes Anderson wishes. (laughs) (laughs) Like it's just, it's so beautifully constructed and uh, yeah. Yeah, the colors, the everything about it. Even her with those weird ass braids that she has that are <laughs> going to be covered by that wig. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, and then you know the cops are there, and uh, they've got questions about the terrorism and all of that. So I love that she's just like, "I've got an idea. Who wants gazpacho? Who wants gazpacho? <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's knock everybody out." But when the two of them are standing there. With their cups of gazpacho, just having this showdown. <laughs> I'm just like, all right, what's going to happen? And she throws that shit in her face. I'm just like, all right, <laughs> how spicy is this gazpacho? It, it apparently blinded she her. She blinded. <laughs> she had to run to the eyewash station. She is like. No, and the, and the buildup to that, because that score is just swelling as yes. they're both yeah. going is for this, this gazpacho. Is this Alberto this, no. Iglesias? No. no. The I score think, is wild. <laughs> I think it's Bernardo 
I forget the last name, but I believe it was an Italian. Company. Sure. I think Alberto Iglesias did everything after All About My Mother. Yeah, he started to come at, towards the later part of his career, and he stuck with him, which I think is a good good choice because I do love some of those scores. Mm-hmm. But with this one, like the score is so overly melodramatic. A lot yes. of horror, a lot of a lot of a, a lot of bassoons. Yeah, <laughs> could a bassoon have been and more late? woodwinds? It's uh, Bernardo Bonetti. Mm-hmm. Yeah, is the, is the composer for the score. It's very frenetic though. Towards it, like from there. Uh, out it is just like constant you know it's it's yeah. very, it's a cacophony um, it, it adds <laughs> to that melodrama it yes. gives me um it's a, it always gives me hitchcock yeah okay. when i see elements like this in his movies well he so it is kind of a thriller score in portions cuz like when they're leading up to her doing her johnny guitar or when she's doing the dubbing they're showing the projector and they just have this like overly anxiety inducing score that's going on mm-hmm. as the like films going through the reel yeah. or like again with the gazpacho show off like they <laughs> have that lead up to them drinking and then when she throws it in the face the score just disappears <laughs> sure yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> <Mis> ojos. <laughs> um lucia getting the ride to the airport is pretty iconic her on the back of that bike i love it i think he said that if I'm sure that listeners can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he was inspired by the Wicked Witch of the West. Oh, I can see that. (laughs) Well, especially, like, how she's photographed when she's on the escalator at the airport, too. That's such a cool image. Again, just... Oh, the the moving moving Mm -hmm. walkway? Yeah. 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 Just the, like, again, his level of of pastiche is not gratuitous. It's all intentional. Yeah. Right due to the character's context or the plot context. And so, like, her being coded as the Wicked Witch of the West. Mrs. She... Mrs. Gulch making, a, <laughs> making, a, making her getaway to the airport. Sure. Yeah. It's, yeah. And just having that blown-out hair when oh she Oh, my God. Arrives. When they get there, the wig is insane, and I love it. Um, okay. So, you know, there are, there are scenes that are out of the apartment, but so much of it does take place in the apartment that as I'm watching it, I'm thinking, I'm thinking this feels like it could easily be translated into a stage production, which it has been, which Mm -hmm. I found out later on. Um, To varying degrees of success? I think that the Broadway run was in 2010 and the reception was kind of mixed. Okay. One of our friends and guests of the show, Paul, from that age well, said it was just all right. (laughs) <laughs> said there was some good songs in it, but he said it didn't really work overall for him. Right. Yeah, I think the with the cultural specificity. Yeah, I was gonna film, say just translating it into English and being yeah. like, it's it's America now. It's kind of like when Michael Haneke did Funny Games, the original version. Do you want to hear? He remade it. Shot. Do you yeah. want to hear something embarrassing? What? I've only seen the American remake. <laughs> I've only That's seen fun. the American remake of. Funny Games and Solaris. Partly because the remake of Solaris is just a lot shorter. I've only seen the American remake of uh, that baby vampire movie. Baby vampire movie? Oh, Let the Right One In? Yeah. Oh, baby vampire movie. Oh, we never watched watched the... I didn't watch it with you. We never watched the Swedish Let the Right One In together? Uh, No. Oh, shocking. (laughs) But there, there is an element that's lost when you lose that cultural context. I would think yes. so. Absolutely. I would think so with this Like, material. I think it would only have to work in Spain. 
Yeah. With or Spanish actors. You need to rework yeah. it entirely to make it something that can stand on its own. It, it, yeah, this movie is way too Spanish yeah. to like take it out of a Spanish context. And I can't speak specifically to that production because I never watched it. Right. I didn't really listen to the music. I just know Patty that Patti did a song for it. So <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like it could get sitcom-y. Sure. You know? I love that, I mean, studios in America love to take a foreign movie. Abrosos Ojos is one of Cameron Crowe watched that movie and was just like, I'm going to remake that in English. I like that you cannot really do that with any of his movies. Like, it wouldn't work. No. And the the smart thing that he did early on in his career was establish his own production company. Yeah. Because what a lot of people don't understand about, like, trying to break through in the international market and especially in the U.S. market is that if you move over completely, you lose a lot of the autonomy that you had in your home country. Sure. So, like, with him establishing his production company and having this early on success, he got a lot more freedom to do the films that he wanted. And Hollywood was trying to get him. I believe that he said that he was offered the director position for First Wives Club, but turned it down. Oh, oh my God. My God. We, just did, <laughs> we just did First Wives Club on the podcast. That is so interesting. Yeah. I mean, it would have been a very different movie. Extreme. I don't know if it would have worked, but I kind of want to watch that movie. Yeah. It, it, Especially if those three are going to be in it. But the thing is, is that if you have him doing an American production for an American studio, they're going to have demands on yes. what he can do and what right. he cannot do. Whereas when he's in Spain, he has free reign to do the scripts that he wants to do and how he wants to do it and with the people that he wants to do it. And I mean, he's really only made two shorts in English. Yeah. One was The Human Voice with Tilda. Yeah. And the other one, I mean, I guess it's going to be out sometime this fall. Yes. With I, um, Peter Pascal and Ethan Hawke, the gay cowboy movie. And those are like 30 minutes. They're not even features, too. Yeah, but they're still made under his production company yeah. rather than a specific studio. And I believe that they're released through Sony Pictures Classics, which he still has that relationship with them. And so it still kind of gives him that level of autonomy. But I like that if he's going to be doing something in English, it's just going to be a short mama. <laughs> He's not doing a feature. No. <laughs> Sometimes, I, I mean, not that I don't think he's capable of doing a feature-length right, film in right. English. I think it's just a very ambitious project. And so I think that right now he's testing the waters with what he wants to do, and especially with collaborators who do have that kind of international recognition. Because it seems like... Tilda Swinton and Kate Blanchett are the people that you want yeah. if you're an international director. Oh, definitely, yeah. And so Tilda Swinton especially, just because she's so she's such an alien of an actress that like she can morph into whatever you want her to be. Even if it's just like she's gonna wear these lovely gowns as she's like <laughs> trying to burn down her apartment. <laughs> I still have not seen it. And it's hard to get a hold of. I tried to watch it today, but I, I don't know. Yeah, I saw it when it came out. Um, I have my own opinions about it. Uh, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think it's entirely successful because, obviously, the, the play that it's based on is a one-person play in their apartment as they're talking on a phone with their ex-lover, and they're trying to, like, 
finally ends this relationship that they know is already dying. And so Tilda just kind of being on a phone the entire time. Right. On, Mm -hmm. if I remember correctly, like a phone and a Bluetooth simultaneously (laughs) and also dealing with the dog. Um, It was okay. Okay. It was an okay movie. I think that like as an Amaldivar completist, it's definitely something that you want to see for the ambition of the project. I wouldn't say that it's wholly successful on its own. What's the cowboy short called? I forget the name. And that's going to Venice, right? I believe so. Okay. Yeah. Sure. But no, I saw a movie this week, and right before the movie, they had a trailer for it. So I guess it's going to be theatrically distributed. Oh. Interesting. Uh, it's called Strange Way of Life. Okay. Sure. Uh, yeah. Extraña Forma de Vida. Original title. There you go. Doesn't say how long it is here. Oh, wait, yeah. 31 minutes. I'll take it. <laughs> Again, give me a short movie. I'm right? right? <laughs> but theatrically, that's interesting. I mean, that doesn't happen no. often. Ever. And really. I think that you have to be a director with right. the gravitas of... Pedro to really do something like that. It's so interesting that the Hollywood studios are just like, yes, uh, we like you. We like your work. We would like to work with you. Do this thing that you would never in a million years do on your own. What first wives club. And I mean, Harry Potter. And and that happens a lot. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and sometimes international directors just kind of get alive with, with, with projects like that. I mean, like view from the top. That was like a Brazilian director. Okay. That I think had done like an indie movie in South America. And we all saw what uh, a stellar career (laughs) that turned out to be. Yeah. I, I mean, even somebody like Ingmar Bergman, the only English movie that he did was, Notoriously a flop, and like that movie had Elia Gould in it. <laughs> um, oh, uh, the touch, my blueberry nights. Touch. Oh, well, he also wait, didn't he also do Stoker? No, I might be no, like, that's isn't that bung? I'm confusing like my my Asian, <laughs> the Asian cinema Stoker now. with with. With Nicole Nick, with look Nicole. up, look up who um, Wong Kar Wai directed My Blueberry Nights. I don't yes. think Wong Kar Wai did Stoker. Who directed Stoker? I think he was I, Korean. Uh, yes. Park Chan Wook. There we go. Old Boy. Yes. Yep. Old Boy. Wow. Which that movie, Stoker. That's another movie. Nicole Kidman's outburst when she yells I at her child. Drug, <laughs> I drug. I Pete to that movie. I did see that for a the press theater. screening at the Sony lot. I did see that. In the theater. I've seen a few movies in the Sony Pictures classics, like. Uh, Screening rooms. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that, I mean, going on a tangent about that movie, I just, Nicole Kidman was the main reason to watch that movie. Yeah, yeah. When she, oh, absolutely. Again, when she tells her daughter, I can't wait to watch Life Tear You Apart, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm probably misquoting it, but just like, Nicole Kidman is the embodiment of camp. Like, she does not know how campy she is, and right. we have to keep her from not, yeah. not right. knowing. From, from yep. finding out. Because <laughs> yeah. that, that's the way that you preserve it. It's kind of like, um, yeah. what was it, the, the Undoing, the HBO show that she did? Like, sure. I never watched it. I know that it just had fabulous wigs. Oh, my God. There's a, there's a scene <laughs> where, so somebody's murdered, and the police are following her and her family, and they take Nicole Kidman in for questioning and they're just like, well, we have footage of you going on a walk. And she's like, what? And they show her a security cam still 
of her walking in the middle of the street as her green robe is like flowing in the air. I watched that and I was just like, who chose that shot? Because it's just so brilliant. Like, Nicole Kidman does not understand the level no. of power she has. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I think if they if they ever drag her in to do like a sequel to the AMC like the little the, promo. Yeah. I don't know what's going to happen. Like, well, <laughs> allegedly they are making a sequel to it. I oh. just don't know. I know that was in the contract when they originally did it. Oh I mean, gosh. I don't know if maybe they're just adjusting it of it's perfect. Just keep all your money. I don't know. But like, is she just going to be like, okay, sure. The kids like it. Let's do another. <laughs> I, she, I, again, I, I, she does not need to know but, oh, how yeah. campy she is. <laughs> Because that we need to keep this woman pure. Yeah, like I agree. we we I need agree. to keep her devoid of knowing. <laughs> like I, I feel like she would be a perfect muse bringing it back to the Maldivar mm. if he were to ever use her because yeah. she doesn't know the power that she possesses. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and he could use her to her full potential. Sure, sure. Just a just a clap of those <laughs> those long <laughs> fingers. Oh god, that <laughs> That, that gif of her <laughs> clapping is beautiful. It was yeah. the jewelry. It was the jewelry. It was I the know, jewelry. I know. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know what an American Pedro Omodovar movie would be like. Of the, I mean, I, I think you would just have to make a melodrama. You would just have to make, I mean, I want like a, a murder mystery with Kate and Nicole and Penelope. Where they're all locked in a mansion, Solid maybe I don't know. Is- <laughs> I could see that. I, I think that it would inevitably be watered down of any kind yeah. of bite sure. that it has. Because like watching something like The Skin I Live In, where he just goes for it, like he he shows it's, you. It's the another brutality. movie. That's another movie I've yet to watch. Scott, <laughs> I know it's fascinating because I I watched it in a transitional phase in my life where like. I was just graduating from my undergrad and going on to grad school. And like, it just hit me at the right time. Cause that was also the same year as drive and as weekend. And that like combination of those three films just like hit that sweet spot. And especially with the skin I live in. Cause if you've watched eyes without a face, there's a lot of sure. that being referenced in just the styling of right. the lead actress in that film and Antonio Banderas as this like mad scientist surgeon who uh, I, I'm not going to necessarily spoil it for you because if right. you go into it not knowing you're you're going for a hell of a ride but <laughs> if you watch it 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 takes you to the depths of what revenge looks like for these specific characters and specifically for one character that is just completely oblivious to the effects that he has on everybody around him and how the things that he does lead to his own undoing, but also lead to the guy who's serving out his vengeance's own undoing as well. So um. yeah, I need to watch it. (laughs) What, uh, what is the movie where, uh, they live in the cave? Oh, um, is that pain and glory? That, Yeah. Pain and Glory. So I really like Pain and Glory. What do we think of Antonio Banderas in kind of more contemporary Almodovar movies, having reached a certain age, is now just playing, playing. better? Like, yeah. 
Sure. Well, especially <laughs> in that movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I think I think that uh, with any kind of director, you get your phases of them. Right. So, like, with Almodovar, his initial face was just La Movida. Yeah. It was just kind of this insane, zany, madcap. Then it became more refined to the, like, Almodovar style. Mm-hmm. Then it became more refined to more serious content in terms of the characters that he was tackling and especially the plot lines that he was tackling. And I think that now that he's getting towards the twilight of his life, he's right. getting more reflective. So when you get something like, I'm so excited, it's yeah. not a zany madcap comedy. It's a like hearkening back to an older version of a film that he might have made in the 80s. So it's like a looking back or with Julieta, where it's about a woman just kind of reflecting on her life, or Pain and Glory, just him. And Parallel Mothers ends up sort of taking a turn in the last act of that movie where it's reflecting on, like, the history of Spain, Spain. too, which is really interesting. And I was watching that with a friend, and he didn't necessarily understand what was going on, and my knowledge of Spanish history is a lot of cinematic and so when I was watching that and just watching about these mass graves and knowing about Franco and the things that happen, it's interesting how he takes that thread of them looking for the lost ancestors mm-hmm. and ties it in with this woman who had a child that wasn't hers. Yeah. And lost a child that was hers that she never knew. And kind of how that, like, develops in and, and I, I would say that there are some faults in terms of the plot line but overall it's just kind of interesting how some of it's interesting how certain directors deal with their own history and with their own cultural history because especially when you're living under a dictatorship right. you go to a finer point to metaphor to kind of deal with the trauma that you're living with so like one of my favorite Spanish directors, Carlos Saura, a lot of the films that he made while Franco was alive were very metaphorical. So, like, the typical one that I love is Cria Cuervos, which is about a little girl whose father was a soldier for Franco. Her mother um, was a pianist. She thinks that she killed her father um, by giving him a poison, and she's happy about it because she blames him for killing her mother. Okay. And so everything is a stand-in for Franco and for Spain mm-hmm. and kind of this hermetically sealed culture that he's trying to create and not allowing these people to kind of live their lives. And you get images of some of that in some of his films, but not as much um, it pops up here and there. So, like, in Matador, I believe that they were doing a fashion runway show called, like, The Two Spains, where you're kind of showing this bloody side of Spain and then this more, like, contemporary, refined side. I think that as he goes along with his filmography, you get a lot more serious with kind of the effects of that culture. So, like, All About My Mother, you see the division between the, like, free-spirited Barcelona versus the like more conservative and refined Madrid and yeah. how like she transitions from one world where she lived this bohemian lifestyle with her spouse who was a transgender sex worker mm-hmm. and their friend who is also a transgender sex worker who gives great monologues. <laughs> 
And this refined life where she just became a nurse and just raised her son and now has to transport herself back to that life in order to find the parent of this child that didn't even know they had a child. So, like, he knows how to deal with that delicate balance. Um, I think more now he's kind of, again, getting more reflective on his own mortality and Mm -hmm. inserting that in there. But he still has an element of fun. It's just, I think that from Volver on, it hasn't been the same kind of zany comedy that you would get with, like, women on the verge. And maybe we're going to get a little bit of that with this new short. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I really like Parallel Mothers. I I mean, I hate to be the basic bitch and say what my favorite (laughs) Pedro Omodovar movie, because I haven't seen all of them, so I really can't give like a firm answer but I think of everything that I have watched post All About My Mother I think Parallel Mothers is my favorite I think Penelope Cruz is really really good in it Penelope's performance I think that it's like it's the best work that she's ever done yeah Mm -hmm. she I think that she's in her best element when she's in that Spanish mode because a lot of her more memorable roles are with Spanish directors rather than with you know like right other directors <laughs> but I mean she made Volver she made Parallel Mothers she she's done a lot of work with Almodovar and I think that he takes such care with his actors that they're able yeah. to deliver these kind of performances I mean I know that we don't really like to talk about Woody Allen but I was watching something on TikTok that was talking about screen time for supporting actress Penelope Cruz is only in like 17 minutes of Vicky Cristina Barcelona and like she utilizes every single second she is on she's on screen in that movie. Yeah. And even during her acceptance speech when she won the Oscar, she thanked Pedro yeah. Moldovar because mm-hmm. they're such good friends. And I, I, it's nice to see that partnership with certain directors where mm-hmm. it's just like if they call you on a whim or just like, hey, I need you for a movie, you just kind of show up. She's like, I'm there. I'm on the next plane. Yeah. Which I, I was kind of sad about the relationship with Carmen Maura fizzling out sure. after Women on the Verge. And allegedly they had a falling out. I don't think it was necessarily ever confirmed, but she didn't come back to his films until Volver. Yeah. Which is kind of, again, getting back into this reflective mode, it's about a woman... Uh, reconciling with her past and potentially seeing a ghost of her mother, played mm-hmm. by Carmen Maura. And she had been with him since kind of the beginning. Yeah, I think the only movie that she wasn't in up until that time was uh, Labyrinth of Passion, which, if you have not seen that movie, love that movie from his early stuff. Wow, that 1982. And, yeah, that and Law of Desire, but Labyrinth of Passion, the main character is a punk rock star named Sexilia, who is a nymphomaniac, <laughs> who falls in love with a gay Middle Eastern prince who, oh up until that time, he was gay, but because he saw how beautiful he was, he renounced his gay ways and lived a heterosexual lifestyle. <laughs> and what was, what was the cause of the fallout? Has she kind of gone on, gone on interviews and talked I, about any of that? I think with Volver, it became more of a public question that was being asked because she had to do all these press junkets. To my understanding, I think she was saying there wasn't any fallout. It was just kind of creatively they were going in different directions. So she, they both moved on with their career. Yeah. 
obviously I don't know what happened, so I can't give any veracity to whether or not there was a fallout, but you kind of see indications of like, as my professor would say, like, what if Carmen Mauro was in All About My Mother? What if she was in Flower of My Secret? Or I mean, what you could, if... you could very easily see her being the lead of All About My Mother. Yeah. Too. Because mm-hmm. she, she's very charismatic and she's very, she's used extremely well in his movies and they had such a great relationship. It just, you kind of wonder what if, and I think Volver kind of brings back that for to fruition when you cast her as a ghost and it's Mm -hmm. just like she's casting a shadow on the rest of his filmography not to say those films aren't great because you know Celia Roth and Marisa Paredes are both great actresses but you you kind of see something about Carmen Maura as the lead of some of these films sure yeah wow I'm just sitting here going okay (laughs) (laughs) Pete what's your favorite Almodovar movie and the one, with the, ta- the one with the talking baby in it. Um, <laughs> ain't no dinosaurs in these movies. Um, okay, so I feel like my favorite... I, I do really love... Uh, I do really love Penelope's performance in Parallel Mothers. I thought it was very moving. Um, we saw that movie on my birthday. We did. Yep. Uh, we did, we did. But yeah, um, I I haven't seen many so I, th- I think that's hard for me to for I me was to counting today on letterbox and I have seen eight okay which I guess isn't bad no that's good um, but yeah I feel like uh, I, I don't know I, there, the, we, we gotta get a box set and we'll just go right through them everything we haven't seen but I'm excited for uh, I'm excited for strange way of life and uh, yeah I mean, we have the um, the flight attendant movie sitting on our table right now we just rented it we have a DVD the of it. Fl- the flight attendant. The flight attendant. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, we'll be watching it. And I know from from everything I've read about that movie, I mean, it was always kind of meant to be silly. Yeah. Like it was. It was. It was Pedro having fun. It was hearkening back to his old days of just like having a sex comedy and watching that movie. There's not really any rhyme or reason to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it it has a nice cameo from. Penelope and Antonio in the beginning. But, yeah. yeah. And there's a scene, there's a musical scene where the flight attendants sing I'm So Excited. Which yeah. I remember that from the trailer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an okay movie. <laughs> I, I'd say it's more, for me personally, it's more mid to lower end. I, I'd kind of lump it in with like Kika where it's just like, it's an ambitious film, but it, it's not as successful as some of the other movies. And you mentioned All About My Mother is probably your favorite. Then? Yes. Yeah. I also have a tattoo of that on me. Oh, oh I, I love that. That movie, not only because it was my first, but I, I have a weakness for certain genres of films. So if you give me a high school coming of age movie that takes place in a high school or a camp, mm-hmm. I'm all about that movie. <laughs> if you give me a movie about a mother that's suffering all about that movie like (laughs) i will be crying and this all about my mother i think is amazing because it it kind of revolves around the films that i started watching around the time that i started watching that movie so like at the end he has a scroll where it says to betty davis to jenna rollins to romy schneider and so i was watching those movies as i was getting more 
prepared for school and just kind of falling in love with these actresses and the depths that he was mm-hmm. showing them. And so watching something like Opening Night, where the beginning of it is this crazed fan who's trying to run after Jenna Rollins and then she gets hit by a taxi. You see that reflected in All About My Mother when the son, Esteban, yeah. gets hit by the taxi. And that just threw me for a loop. And the characters are just so beautifully done and especially Lagrado, which I quoted for my last graduation um, when I was getting my master's. I gave the commencement speech, and I actually quoted all about my mother for that one because at the end, she was just saying, like, to be authentic is pretty expensive, and it's not a time to be stingy with that because (laughs) if I remember, you are more authentic the more you resemble that which you dreamed of being. And it's just like... That's a that's a perfect line. (laughs) That's a great line to go out on. But like it's also I believe it's one of the first instances where he talks about AIDS in a movie. Sure. Because he generally stays away from the heavier topics up until this point. But that one. And he gives and he gives uh, the character dying of AIDS as a nun, too, which is very Mm -hmm. interesting. Yep. A heterosexual. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, he he went into darker territory with that, and then he would go even further with talk to her, uh, which, yeah. I, I think that was his best period or his, like, apex of his movies. But that doesn't mean, like, he went on a downward decline. It's just, like, I, I don't necessarily know that he could reach that height again. Sure. But skin i live in was great julieta was great you watch julieta there is an amazing transition that is just so seamless where there are two actresses playing julieta young julieta and older julieta the way they transition to her is young julieta is getting her hair dried and they're like rubbing her head with a towel and then they take the towel off and it's older julieta oh okay (laughs) it's just so so perfect but I'm curious where he's going to go with the films that he's making because he seems to be in a more, like I said, melancholic and reflective tone. Uh, He might still infuse it with comedy, but we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You guys. Shit. (laughs) Some deep shit here. I feel like there's uh, like almost body horror elements in some, in some, movies of it there's just like I, I i don't know what directors just kind of have like all of these different themes going on in their body of work yeah you mm-hmm. know and just the amount of i have a i have a the amount of work that he puts out i have um a list of themes that i have in my notes i'm seeing sexuality and gender family kind of a lot of his movies focus on the complexities of family and the trauma that you carry through your adult life memory and trauma Art and performance. I mean, um, he he often kind of uh, puts in artists, actors, and musicians in a lot of these movies, too. Um, Death and mortality, especially within the past, like, decade of his movies, too. So just kind of themes that I have in my notes. Do you you have any other ones that I just didn't mention? Uh, Nothing I can really... I mean, again, going back to his obsession, he does have his obsessions. But, like, with the musicality, that was one that always fascinated me when I started getting into him because for his earlier films, up until a certain point, he would revolve them around a specific song. So, like, with this... So, like, with Talk to Her, it was Cucurucucu Paloma. 
Um, with all about my mother, it was Taya Bone. Um, Volver with, is a big one. Yeah. It What's was the that, song that she... She sings Volver. Volver, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, with Women on the Verge, it's Lola Beltran, Soy and Feliz, which plays in the opening credits. It plays frequently throughout. It plays when she's thrown the Oh, record. my God. The opening credits of this movie. I want to walk through an art exhibit and just see plates of those. They're gorgeous. It's beautiful. And to think about, like, in 1988, somebody had to sit there and cut out each of those magazines and, like, form them. Like, the one that I always think of is the woman that's doing her lipstick, and somebody had to cut out her lips and put it on a separate, like, flat bread thing. And it's... It's just so gorgeous the way that they did it. And I think at one point it's just even like a flower of lips. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's uh, his production design, his titles, like he had a signature style that he was going towards and he achieved it for many years onward. I think once he got into the digital era, it wasn't as much. Right. Like I can't really remember the titles of Parallel Mothers as well. Skin I Live In was, uh, there's more artistry in what's going on in the production yeah. design. But yeah, I can't really think of memorable titles since maybe like Bad Education. Okay. Yeah. Fair. I remember watching Bad Education when I was like 18 years old and just thinking like, oh, I'm watching like an NC-17 movie. And then you get to the story of it and, being, and just being like, oh, this is what this movie is about. <laughs> Oh there are mm-hmm. layers to that. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm sitting at home going, "He's giving Julia Roberts, honey." Guile is very pretty, uh, and and Pedro kept on saying that along the junkets where he was like, "I hired him because he has a Julia Roberts mouth." <laughs> he absolutely does. <laughs> um, does he play? Is his character Mexican? Or that is not. No. His character's Spanish. Yeah. Yeah, I think the character's Spanish. Yeah, it's... You can do the accent. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, because I'm remembering that year when he won the Oscar, I think he was sitting near Diego Luna and Gael Garcia Bernal. Mm-hmm. And, like... I, oh, because they would have been there, because that was when yeah. Itamar Tambien yeah. was in screenplay. Yeah. Sure. I... I I've seen that clip way too many times, and the main thing that I take away from it is Mira Sorvino standing up and, like, giving him a hug. <laughs> it just looks very awkward. <laughs> like, I love I love Mira Sorvino, but it just seems <laughs> like, like she, And you are. <laughs> she's the only one that just gets up and, like, gives him a hug <laughs> for some reason. That's funny. I but, love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Gael Garcia Bernal was good in that movie. Um, that's definitely a heavy movie. And I think it... Uh, going back to college discussions of it, my professor was always like, I think that bad education is the closest we get to like a discussion about his childhood. Cause it seems like there's some trauma going on with his relationship to the church and especially sure. with the clergy, because you see it pop up time right. and time again, where like, if you look at law of desire, yeah. um, the transgender sister, talks about how she had a relationship with a priest and then ended up transitioning into a woman when she went to Morocco with her father, who was also her lover. That happens a lot where the, the <laughs> child ends up sleeping with the father and then they go to Morocco for some reason. You but, know. 
yeah. But yeah, I think that something happened in his childhood that caused that trauma, and he just kind of unfolds it slowly, but doesn't really give the whole picture of what happened. Mm -hmm. Wow. All right. Well, I mean, I I feel like we could continue this conversation. We'll be doing more. We'll be doing. We'll be doing more. Pedro Almodovar episodes yeah, too. In the future, but mm-hmm. I mean, this has been very enlightening. Thank I like that we started so on Women of the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, though. Yeah, absolutely. it feels like the appropriate place to start. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank, Thank you so you. much, Jose. Yeah, this was, this was mm-hmm. great. This was, like I said, very enlightening for me. Your dumb movie watcher. <laughs> oh, give yourself a little more credit, Pete. <laughs> oh, I know. <laughs> I'm just playing, y'all. But, um, yeah, this was super fun. Um, we would uh, I'd love to have you on again to talk Amadovar even further or, uh, or something else of your, of your choice, man. This was, this was great. We'll have you on for the Hannah Montana movie. Ooh. I have so many I know questions. That, I know that you have thoughts. I have so many questions <laughs> about that door that they created that's egg-shaped. <laughs> <laughs> An entire city kept her secret. <laughs> So many questions. Oh, my God. Now, The Climb was written for that movie. Okay. Yeah. So that's a whole other episode. <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. But, um, yeah, until, until then, I think it's time to bid you adieu. Thank you so much once again for coming on the show. We'd love, we'd love to do this again in the future. But um, we'll see you next time, listeners. Bye. Bye. And thanks for listening, everybody. I'm glad that we finally got to a Pedro Omodovar movie on the Absolutely. show. Absolutely. Uh, you two did a wonderful job dissecting these movies. Um, I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I did, folks. But, um, you know, episode is winding down. Is it that time, Pete? I think it's that time. <laughs> I think it's time for our Patreon Patreon shout-outs. Let's hear them. All right. We'd like to say hello to all of our wonderful patrons, including Brett, Trent, Daisy, Patrick, Kelly, Chrissy, Stephen, Jake, Desiree, Laura, Thomas, Brenna, Jessa, Rabbit, Lawrence, Lisa, Alexis, Thomas, Mark, Jackson, Millie, Ted, Benny, Jamel, Melanie, Susan, JJ, Shelby, Jamie, uh, Drew, Genevieve, Dawn, Joshua, Emily, Melly, Aaron, Jessica, Nick and Shannon, Christine and Ravino. You guys, thank you so much for being patrons. Head over to patreon.com slash movies that made us gay to check out all of our cool supplemental material. We have commentaries on there, and by the time this episode comes out, we will be talking about TV on the Patreon. Yes, indeed. Television that keeps us gay. So head over to patreon.com slash movies that made us gay for more information on how to support the show. All of your donations go directly to keeping this podcast on the air every week. Listeners, we are here every week ad-free. How much do you love that? Thank you so much. Scott, do we have some new reviews? We have some new reviews. We have two, actually. We have one entitled Perfect from Juju Face. This is a perfect podcast. Hilarious discussion, fun banter, and excellent movie talks. Five stars. Thank you so much. Yay. Thank you, Gigi Face, Apple Podcast Listener. And we have one from Ashbev, my new favorite five, five stars. So, Pete, this is from a Drew Barrymore podcast that yes, they've been indeed. dropping in our DMs and said some kind words. They gave us a really nice shout out yes, on their they did. 50th episode. I thought that was so cool that they talked about... Um, us talking about Drew, and she says that she sometimes gets, uh, she, she sometimes like corrects people if they get facts wrong, and we sure. really knew our Drew. 
Yes, indeed. On our episodes uh, that we've done. The podcast is called How Do You Drew? Uh, it is a uh, it's a Drew Barrymore Appreciation Podcast. Uh, it's a podcast from the gals behind oh uh, Drewzium. It is a an Instagram page. It's at Drewzium. It's a fan page, and it's uh, just a Drew Barrymore retrospective. And so their podcast is called How Do You Drew, and they're available um, anywhere you get your podcast, just like us, Apple Podcasts and Spotify, and um, new episodes every Drew's Day. And their hosts has left us a fine review. As co-host of the Drew Barrymore-centric podcast, How Do You Drew? I'm always on the lookout for other pods with Drew content. So happy I stumbled onto this gem. I've already burned through all of their incredible Drew episodes, and now I'm excited to jump into the rest. It's so refreshing to listen to hosts who really know their stuff. Pop culture kings. Thank you so much. Ah, love it. We might be doing a collaboration with them. Yeah, sit tight, everybody. Soon, too. Go check out our back catalog for tons of Drew content, including episodes on Poison Ivy, Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. I was re-listening to our Donnie Darko episode with Michael Morgan, mm-hmm. and I think that is one of my favorite episodes. It's a fun it's really episode. Good. It's a fun movie. Check it out, and while you're doing that, check out the How Do You Drew podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, We'd also love for you to rate and review our show. If you want to write a review like that, we'll read it on an upcoming episode. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, give us five stars. Yeah. All right. Um, You can follow us on any of the social media platforms. We are on most of them. We're at Movies That Made Us Gay on Instagram, Threads, Facebook. Uh, We are on X. X and um, Threads. But on X, we are MTMUG Pod. Yes. Because Movies That Made Us Gay was taken. Um, but yeah, check us out on all those socials and give us a follow. If you want to follow our personals, feel free. I'm Pete. I'm at Peter Lasagna on Instagram and uh, Threads and, oh, and X as well. Scott Youngballer on Instagram and follow my letterbox. Yes, indeed. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll see you same time, same place next week, next Friday. Bye. Bye.